Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7, 365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. You know, I've been looking forward to this show for a long time. My guest today is Liv Morris, and she's a best-selling romance author. And we actually had a fantastic lunch at Comic-Con in San Diego a few months back, and we planned this show then. And um, I've been looking forward to it ever since. So thanks, Liv, for coming on. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to it. It seems like forever ago that we were together. I <laughs> know. Had, it was great. <laughs> had a great time. Great time it, meeting you. Yeah, it, it, it was, um, was Comic Con. It was really hot in San Diego this year. And it was just a crazy time. I mean, um, I hadn't been to Comic Con in many, many years. And I used to go as a child when it was nothing like, like what it is now. But there's just so many people. They kept running out of food. When when we were ordering food, they kept coming back over to the table saying, no, we don't have that. No, we don't have chicken. We don't have this. And finally, we were just like, well, just bring us what you have. <laughs> I think we got down to French fries and Diet Coke or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I, I went three, uh, let's say two years before. And it, it's even grown in, in two years. When I was there two years back, it was even there's a little more space now. The grounds are completely covered. It's just exploded. Comic Con has. It really has. It took us forever to just go one block. It was just it was just crazy. So I I don't know what they're gonna do about that next year, but it, it I think they need more room or something. I I don't know. I don't have the plans. And, no, and more Starbucks. <laughs> and one Starbucks. One Starbucks is not enough. <laughs> and more chicken at the restaurants. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Well, let's start. You you actually grew up in the Ozarks. In I did. Missouri? I was born and raised in Springfield, Missouri. All my family's still there. Um, it's the home of two exciting. Well, one really exciting. Bass Pro headquarters. Brad Brad Pitt. And um, really lovely area of the country, and I have lived all over the states with my husband's job, and now I'm in Manhattan, so I just call myself a hillbilly Manhattan, and we smoke meat on our terrace, and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> you smoke weed on your terrace or meat on your terrace? No, meat. Only okay. Meat so far. <laughs> <laughs> I used to smoke weed on our which actually in Washington you could legally do, and nobody would even because it is legal in Washington. Well, I have smelled it coming from other people's terraces, but not ours. <laughs> but not yours. No way. Not yet. <laughs> well, let's go back to Brad Pitt because that was a little interesting tidbit that you threw down there. So, Brad Pitt is also from Springfield. Are you related at all? Any distant cousins or no, you on no. or anything? I don't. I really, I did not know him in high school. There was five high schools in my hometown, but he dated um, a friend of mine that ended up her um, her father married my my husband and I. So, kind of small world there. But I did get to know him in college. Um, went to college at University of Missouri, and so did he. He was a year younger than me, and uh, 
I was on stage with him and performed, I kid you not, in a Greek week skit. He was um, Sigma Chi and I was a Kappa Delta, and I was time dating the uh, fraternity president of his frat and got to know him that way, and he was um nicest guy, nicest guy, really nice, from a great family. And Springfield is just full of really good people. So he's just a... He was just, I had no clue, you know, at the time. I have pictures from him in college, and, you know, you just, he was really good-looking and everything, but who knew? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, was he good-looking back then? He was. He was very preppy. The pictures I have of him, I have, like, pop collars. It was 84 <laughs> in, the, in the, you know, preppy handbook years. And, uh, yeah, he was just a really sweet guy, really nice guy. Can't, can't say anything but that, you know, he's just a good good kid. Right. Now he's a, you know, if I'd only known, right? But. Right, exactly. You could go back in time. I know my husband graduated with Mark Cuban, and um, uh, oh, wow. they were in the same class. And I always tell my husband, I'm like, really? I'm like, you really didn't really get to know him? I mean, yeah, we could, like, use that information now. And he's like, well, we, like, knew each other, but we weren't, like, he was, like, with the smarter kids, and my husband was with the jocks. I'm like, oh, the jocks will do you and everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, so It's really interesting to see his progression. Like, I think it first started out when, with Brad. He was in Save for the Bell. And, like, all my sorority sisters, it, this was back before real Internet talk years ago, dating myself. But uh, he was just – we just watched his progression as he went through, and then I think the film with Louise was a big breakout. So mm-hmm. it was a, yeah. It's been exciting to see his life and um, just imagine, you know, where he's been and where he's come from and who he is now. So it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, since you were this little girl from Springfield, Missouri, but you were <laughs> doing theater, did you have dreams of going to New York? Not really. I... Um, I really didn't. I never in a million years thought I would be moving like I have. We have been moved 11 times with my husband's corporate career, and we lived on the East Coast four times. I never thought I would do that. But my husband's name is no is Damon, and spelled backwards, that's Nomad. So that was a good clue that I was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never even I never even put that that, that together. That's that, yeah, that that would absolutely be your your first clue if you were into reversing letters. I'm never that smart though. See, all all you author types are are just creative like that. <laughs> when did it just you kind start, of happen, so. When did you start kind of writing and were were you, were you a journaler? Did you journal? I I really wasn't. I was a reader. I read a lot when I was younger. Um, I started out with Little House in the Prairie, and. Mm-hmm. That was my first series. I, I read it to my sister. She's six years younger than me. I read it to all my three daughters who are grown now. I just love that series. And I've just always been a reader. Classics, I started reading them at about 13 or 14. Jane Eyre was my first classic book I read. And just couldn't get enough of reading. And about four, so you met 2009, so it's been over four years, um, going on five now. It's been five I'm not good at math, by the way. Um, it's been five years. I started watching this movie called Twilight. My daughter said, Mom, you've got to watch this movie. I really think you're going to love it. And I sat down on the couch with her, and I just fell down this incredible rabbit hole. And 
got consumed with Twilight, the books, and then I started, I found this really interesting thing called fan fiction, Twilight fan fiction. That's where I really started putting pen to paper was during some days I was writing Twilight fan fiction. Like so many, there's a lot of us that have started that way. But, uh, yeah, that was my beginning to really write. I have done technical writing, nothing nothing creative writing, though, really. So this was, it was all kind of new to me. How did you find fan fiction? I think like so many of us that read Twilight and loved the books, but the fade to black of the, some of the scenes, the love scenes, made me want more. I wasn't really ready to let go of the series. And so... I went on um, a site called twilighted.net, and I started reading this book called The Office. I'm like, oh, gosh, this this is in 2009, July, I think. It's like, wow, this is really hot. And it had nothing to do with vampires or Edward and Bella, you know, from the books, but I didn't care. It was so good. Well, that that fic became The Beautiful Bastard that we know today. It got published. So that was my first kind of – then I started writing – a fan fiction. As a matter of fact, Adam's Apple, my first novel that I published, um, the first five chapters of that were fan fiction. It was called Sexual Napalm. And I had read uh, Don Diello's book, Cosmopolis, and wondered how a man, a, a smart, good-looking, had the world at his fingertips man, would become so tragically shallow and cold and 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 um selfish and just devoid of any real humanity um and so i that's when uh, that's where adam apple was born was that adam character um came from from that really from don diego's book uh as i wrote twilight fan fiction <laughs> that makes any sense at all Oh my God. But what was interesting is I started writing um I started writing Adam's Apple when I lived in Omaha, Nebraska. That was one of our many stops and um when I was writing the fan fiction and I put him in the Pierre Hotel, which I now live a few blocks from, which I think is amazingly crazy. So way back in Omaha I had no clue I was gonna be living in New York City. I started writing this toilet fan fiction and my main character lived at the top of the Pierre Hotel. Wow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you were able to also start building a following in fan fiction. It's That's really true. I have um, some really close readers from fan fiction days that um, have now, are now, you know, readers of my published works. As a matter of fact, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be at a book signing in West Virginia, and I um, I'm fortunate enough to have a reader from my Twilight fan fiction days as my uh, assistant at the at the event. So, yeah, it's it's really special to me. I I went to a Twilight fanfic uh, meetup a couple weekends ago that was here in New York City, and it was just so good to see you know the beginning of you know where my heart was in the writing and the reading and where I fell in love with a couple characters that really set a different course for my life. So. It's cool, and it's got to be really rewarding to see that you could take that your your character Adam and that story Adam's Apple out of the fan fiction realm, and then it becomes this best selling novel out in the mainstream world. And then you have a follow up Adam's Fall to that, and you've done other works. We'll talk about that as well. But 
it's got to be really a, a gratifying and maybe surprising feeling to to see that translate into like real mainstream numbers. It is. I've you know I've watched um, other authors go through the the process, but you just never know. And I I was it's been a great ride. It's been so rewarding and fulfilling, and I feel like I'm kind of a late a late bloomer. I'm. I have three grown daughters and uh, pretty much was a stay-at-home mother for years. I had a little bit of work here and there during the time that uh, teaching, things like that. But, uh, you know, just really, you know, your basic soccer mom. And, you know, then boom, I fell down, like I said, the rabbit hole and my life really changed. It's been a great experience. I don't know at first if my family knew what happened to me. I think they still may wonder. <laughs> but... <laughs> But it's all been good. It's all been good. It's all good stuff. Do you think of yourself now as an author? Um, well, that's a loaded question. Um, I'd like to think I am, and I work hard at it, but it's a growing process for me. I just, you know, when I think I went through and, you know, before I put the series out that's released today, author books, I went through and still was tweaking things. And, and I was like, oh, wow. I don't like the way that sounded. I can't believe I had that in there for a year, you know. So I mm-hmm. think it's always a continual thing, but um, it's it's been a real joy. I've really enjoyed it. I've met so many wonderful people. Like I told, told my husband, if I never sell another book, the experience I've had has been worth everything to me, just entirely wonderful experience. Well, um, a lot of the authors that, well, that are now authors that started out just kind of writing in fan fiction, you all became very, very close, and it's amazing. I, I don't know if people really understand the level of support that you give each other. There's so much marketing that goes on, and I watch you all market each other's work just as heavy, if not more, probably, than you even uh, do on your own. There is. It's a great network. And what I love about my friends from the fan fiction writing days and is we knew each other before anything became, before we hit the, the publish bar, um, you know, on our Amazon, before our books were taken to a publisher, anything like that. So we really have this sense of knowing each other from in a way that's a little different than than maybe other authors you meet along the way now. Not that I don't have great friends that I've met now. It's just a little different when you you have that where we began experience mm-hmm. with them. No, I've, I've, <laughs> I've always thought that that would actually make a really good screenplay for a movie was that whole kind of fan fiction uh, journey that happened before everybody really knew about fan fiction and then the authors that, that kind of blossomed out of there and became really well-known. Uh, that, that really, that those are the things that, that movies are, are kind of made of because it really is, you know, not rags to riches, but, you know, along those same lines from going from, from no notoriety to, uh, you know, a lot of notoriety when you all were just kind of on this online writing club. Yeah, that's exactly. I said online book club to a lot of people, so they wouldn't roll their eyes at me when I was writing. <laughs> but yeah, I think we all shared this basic passion, and we weren't doing it for money. We were doing it because we really, or you know, or for any success or to, to you know, try to publish. We we were doing it because we really enjoyed it, and um, we were supporting each other, and we 
it was a lot of fun. Those were really some fun days, the you know, the fan fiction writing days. And then to see so many people that I love um come out of it and, and publish their books that I loved. It's it's been t- it's been tons of fun to watch and it's been um exciting to see so many people have such a great success. So um it's it's funny though, I tell people about the, the, the you know, the journey and everyone finds it fascinating. So yeah, I think you're right. It, who knows it could be kind of like a neat subject some for a movie someday. I'm not sure mm-hmm. whether it would be categorized as comedy or <laughs> well, there's absolutely a space that Sex and the City kind of left when when they pulled, you know, they stopped doing shows on HBO and you know they did a couple of movies. But you know, the 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 women and and the lovers of of, of that kind of genre still exist. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we, yeah. we've seen them show up in the in the romantic and erotica categories of. of well, I think sure. the the best title would be Housewives of Fan Fiction because <laughs> most of us were, were housewives or mothers or working or whatever, you know, but Housewives of Fan Fiction, we could really, like a reality show or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody had to pitch that. What do your daughters, because you, you, know, you said you had three grown daughters, have they read your books? Or do they give you any feedback at all? Or what does that look like? Well, I have... Mixed, you know, well, first they, they didn't know what happened to me. I'll go back to when I started writing fan fiction. You know, they were, you know, I, I think I was I was becoming an empty nester at the time. And I think they thought I would just, you know, have nothing to do with myself. And and then I started having all this fun, meeting my friends that I met online during fan fiction, you know, flying to see them in different places. And obviously having the best time of my life. And I think that was shocking to them that, you know, they're gone and mom's having the best time. And my husband's, well, he benefited from a lot of things sideways <laughs> from that. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just, a, it was, they, they're doing good, but I don't know. They've read some of my short stories, but to be honest with you, reading your mother's erotica books, that might be a little <laughs> tough for them. I think it's been even tough for my sister who's grown, but, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think, um, They've really not read them, so and that's fine with me, you know. Um, I'm very much understanding. I don't know that I want to read my mother's books if she wrote them either. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's true, but you know, um, so many of you write under pen names. But of course, your daughters probably know your pen names. But you know, they could actually stumble on things without even maybe realizing that there was a connection. Right. They they know my pen name and. uh, and whatnot. I just I did that mostly because well, first of all, I thought if I really suck at this, I can just pretend it never happened. <laughs> just like the pen name will just kind of fade off into the green out, fade off into the background, and I can just go, "Who's that? I've never heard of Woodmore." Um, and but yeah, if the, the fan, the, I mean the um, um, the pen name was just kind of also a way. To, I'm glad I did it now because I ended up going into a more erotic space than I had planned when I started writing, um, um, publishing, I should say, when I started publishing. So it's it's kind of nice to have that protection mm-hmm. from my family. I don't even – my real-life Facebook name and account does not even follow Liv Morris. <laughs> so I'm totally <laughs> separate. <laughs> I don't post on that about anything. I post my grandkids, my kids' pictures, things like that. Mm-hmm. That's it. Well, it's, it it gives your alter ego self a space 
to express and then still protect your 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 personal space as well. Exactly. Yeah, it does. Let's talk about the love uh, love in the city series because now you're in the city and has yeah. been in New York has you know there's there's a lot of cities that, that have a lot of creativity that kind of just oozes out of their energy and I would imagine that New York is one of those places. It is. When I first moved here, um, I wasn't sure how it was going to hit me. Uh, we've been suburb people all our lives. We raised our children in suburbs, complete soccer mom. Uh, even when we lived in Connecticut, it was we lived in like real suburbia. So I was just always in the car everywhere we went. We moved here. I sold my vehicle. We kept my husband, and uh, so we're just we never hardly drive it. It's just housed in the garage most of the time, but. I have found that New York, with most people, does two things. It either energizes you or sucks the life out of you. And for me, it really energizes me. It has been very helpful for me to write. Um, my favorite time of of night writing, I usually write at night. Um, it seems the one my brain is most creative. Um I like to go out on my terrace, and there's this incredible white noise It's of cars. I don't know what it's from, but it's like this soothing sound, and it just puts me in a – I listen to music a lot, but I like to listen to that if it's nice and it's outside. But I think this city does um, help me creatively, but if it if it were the opposite where it, it drained me, um, then, then that could be a problem. So I feel fortunate that while we're living here, at least we, we're going on three years now, it's been a very positive thing for me, um, writing-wise. Mm-hmm. And has it opened your um, experiences that you can give your characters as well? I think so. I look back to if I had just stayed, and it, don't get me wrong, I love where I was raised, beautiful place. But if I had never moved around to all the different cities, I moved to Washington, D.C., Dallas, um, and Florida, can I get outside of New York before? I don't know that I would have the ability to. I think my writing would be a little different, uh, just a little different because the experience is different. And finishing the book here versus where I started it in Omaha, Nebraska, I don't think I could have done the same thing. I felt I go to the Pierre Hotel now to have a drink, you know. <laughs> so it's, there's a great lounge, and I was able to write about it and experience it, and. Um, not to give too much away, but where Adam is shot at the Pier Hotel, the sidewalk, and I, I'm, I've walked that sidewalk. So, it's it's just it's given it a really different feel. Um, I think I could have done it without that, but it doesn't make it more of a personal experience writing about something where I've actually you know walked on the premise. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about Adam's apple, and there's there's. Um, Adam's Apple, and then there's a novella, right? And then there's Adam's Fall. So, and and it's in a. You can actually get it in the Touch of Tantra series, correct? Right. Oh, that came out today. Yeah, and that's being released today. Now, in Adam's Apple, I I, I want to tell you that somebody told me that they first read it based on the book cover that the book cover was mm-hmm. so sexy and so great that that's what drawn them in, and then they loved it. They they, they loved the series. Um, but 
and I hadn't really thought about a book cover before because actually, you know, I've always heard that with wine labels, people will buy the wine, you know, they'll buy a wine based off the label when they don't know. And then here the book cover lent so much to that person being able to read it and then share it with other people. And it all started really just, just with the cover. And then, of course, they loved everything that was in, in between those covers. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I did, I, um, I love that cover. Sarah Hansen did that from OK Creations, and I had read Hopeless in January of 2013 and uh, loved her cover for Colleen Hoover and reached out to her, and she was gracious and agreed to work with me. And we kept going back and forth on, on photos, and that photo kept coming up that I used for the cover. It was very vibrant blue, and she subdued it. And uh, it has a very um, artistic feel to it. It's a it's a woman who has actually had an artistic um, artistry done computerized to her. And the photographer I brought it on Photostock was uh, is from Eastern Europe, so it was just an amazing find. And I've had so many people at book signings never heard of me, but they'll stop and say, "Oh my goodness, I've seen that cover somewhere." You know, I've, I didn't know that they just didn't put me together with it. So it, it's been a for a debut series. I feel like I hit the lottery with that cover as far as um, people recognizing it and grabbing hold of it. So I'm very fortunate, and Sarah did a great job with it. Very, very lucky to have had her help. And um, Do you feel pressure to come up with good covers from here on out? I do a little bit. I It's, it's tough, tough. Um, for the second cover, yeah, it was my debut. Evidence Apple was my debut book, and I didn't even think about what the next cover was going to be, which is I wouldn't advise that for anyone that's doing a series. It's good to think about what you're going to be doing next, and I really didn't. So finding that follow-up cover was so hard for Adam's Fall. So what I did is I did a contrast photo. Um, it's a woman that looks artistic, like a painting, and then I it's, it's more lighter color with a red. So I chose a man who looks more like a statue. I actually bought that from Scott Hoover, that's the model Nick Ayler, and I would suggest everyone Google him. <laughs> Very good-looking guy. Uh, you will not be disappointed. But I, So I just went and kind of did the flip side. But that was a tough follow-up. I tell you, it really was a tough follow-up cover to, to follow up. Mm-hmm. A, something that was artistic in the stock photo world just didn't happen. So I was real fortunate to find this photo from Scott Hoover. He told me he actually has the photo I have above his desk in his office. Amazing. Wow. So um, Pets of Tantra comes out today. You want to tell us a little bit about that? And that's available on Amazon. So people can go to Amazon. And you have your own author page, Liv Morris. You have your own author page. And it has all of your works on there. And then works that you've done um, in compilation with with other uh, authors as well, the Shivers series. I wanted to talk a little bit about that because how fun was that oh, yeah. to do as well? Oh my God, that was so fun. That's, that's a preview. But the t- Touch of Tantra series, uh, real quickly, is just basically the story of Adam and Catherine's love story. Adam's Apple and Salt are both told completely in Adam's point of view. Um, so you're in his head the whole time. He starts out as this man who um, lives for nobody himself and then he falls in love with a woman that he can't live without and she is a very strong woman um she's a a tantra instructor 
So he has to really earn her. Most stuff, Adam's apple, he's just not worthy of her, and he has to go through some hoops. And it's a good progress for him because he's he's not a very likable character character in the beginning, and you're in his head. But you're also in his head, and you get to hear him change and see him change within himself. So I've enjoyed that part of, the, of writing a man um, who realizes, you know, who he really truly is. It's not a, a very pleasant thing for him, but he – through some, it's very suspenseful too. There's a lot of, um, well, you know, there's guns and he gets shot. So basically, there's a lot going on. So it's more than just an erotic book. I call it plotica. It's plot-driven erotica. So um, I, I enjoyed it, and uh, I, it's on all platforms right now. It's on iTunes, um, Barnes and Noble, and Amazon. So is, is it hard to get into a man's headspace? so to speak, being a woman? Because, you know, we, we kind of think differently than they do. Did, did you have to go to your husband or other, you know, male? I did. You know, I, I did. I, mean, I have never had anyone, and I have over 300 and some, 330 reviews for Adam's Apple just itself, and I've never had anyone say this didn't sound like a man. So that I always watch for that, right? Especially when in the beginning I kept waiting for someone to say this sounded like a woman, you know, or something mm-hmm. like, men mm-hmm. don't talk like that. Mm-hmm. But I did use my husband as a sounding board. One time um, during sex that there was some dialogue, inner dialogue that Adam said, my husband said, I don't know if a man is really thinking that. He's not thinking details like this. And I go, but women want him to think this way. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the only time I really overrode my husband. Most of the time I really listened to if my husband said, you know, dudes, do not say this, do not think this. I would really adhere to that. But I loved writing the male point of view. And when I wrote fan fiction, um, that was my favorite point of view to write. So I don't know what that says about me, but I do like <laughs> that point of view. <laughs> well, does it, does it make you more um, maybe, you know, empathetic or something to, to men when you have to maybe kind of think like I them a little know. bit? I don't know. I've, I've analyzed, I've tried to analyze why I like it so much. And I'm not a real flowery writer. I tend to write specific and with illustrated word pictures. I try, you know, to do showing and not a lot of romantic flowery words. And I think a man's mind tends to be more visual and less flower, you know, less romanticized in his in his mind. So maybe that leads to it. I don't know, but mm-hmm. um, I've enjoyed I enjoy writing the male point of view. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting to read the male point of view. And you're right. I have read some authors who have write from a male point of view and I'm like, Oh, there's no way a man would, you know, do that or say that or something. And and it does kind of throw you for a loop when when you're you kinda of lose that momentum, you know, when when you're reading it. It doesn't happen very often, but 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 I I do remember a couple books where I have read it, and and I'm like I don't know about that, but um, but I I still enjoyed I still enjoyed the book, but I I could see that that would be, and I didn't feel like that at all with 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 your books, so it wasn't you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And it actually wasn't anyone who's ever been on this show, um, <laughs> because I would never set myself up like that to like stumble across and actually say that because. Um, I I I just wouldn't do that. But um but I have read some books where I have felt that but but anyone who's listening to the show, if you're on the show, it was not you. 
I won't put myself in that position. But uh, I always know when I talk too much to my husband because his eyes kind of glaze over, you know, and uh, he kind of like fades off into him like, okay, too many words, too many words for him. <laughs> my husband can relate to that. Yes. Especially if I've been writing all day, I don't have, you know, I haven't really talked to anyone, so I have to like talk to him all night, right? But, uh, <laughs> exactly, I got to catch up. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Shiver series because that looks like yeah. it was really fun. It, it was a, a, a compilation by several art uh, authors, and you all kind of contributed, and it's kind of humor mm-hmm. and scary short stories. It is. It is. I first of all, I love getting to know the ladies. Uh, several of them, like you know, Daisy, known her and Ruth for many, many moons um, back in the day before I even published, and so it was. And then some other friends, you know, Penny, Penny Reed and um, Nadine and Zoe and just, you know, and Ashley I've become friends with on the path of writing. And it's it was just a really fun way for us to do a little novella and also support St. Jude's. Every dollar that we make, every dime, every penny is going straight to St. Jude's. And uh, so we... We had a good cause, and we had a good group, and it's been a lot of fun. And I don't know if anyone's read the series yet or not, but or the novella um, anthology, but it's available on all platforms right now. Whose idea was that, and, and, and how did it get presented to you? You know, I I'm, want I'm to say it was either Penny or Nadine. You've got to realize I'm over 50. My brain is very limited <laughs> on details. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember exactly. One of those lovely ladies in the group, <laughs> let's put it that way, um, started started the conversation, and then we all just jumped on it. And I actually have only written one romantic comedy, and it was in, it's in my short story collection, The Love of the City, called Drunk and Disorderly. And I really love, and I have a whole series of romantic comedies set to release next year. And um, so the Peckers, I know that sounds really silly, but uh, the, the novella I wrote for it, Peckers, it was my attempt at writing an alpha male and a funny light. And so I just use it as an, ex, you know, as an experiment and fun and I, something I'm going to expand on mm-hmm. next year. So I'll expand the entire story that I wrote. And I think several of us are, um, you know, maybe publishing from it later or expanding on it. I'm just, I'm not sure. I can't speak for everyone, but uh, that's, there's a possibility that might happen. And, it was just so much fun, and I think it, the light humor, um, you know, from college, like um, Daisy Prescott has a new adult that's bewitched. It's adorable, adorable read, and loved it. Very talented writer. And uh, then, to you know, a little bit more parent, a little touch of paranormal on that, too. You know, mine is a little older, um, mid-20s. Mid um, so it's just a good view, a good round and then, of course, there's Penny, you know, her a little preview of what she's got coming on for next year. And then Nadine took a little excerpt, uh, made a little novella from characters in her uh, Lawyers in Love series book. So it was just it was just a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And I have actually an anthology coming up tomorrow called Hop the Teacher that I have a novella in. So busy with – I love novellas. They're, they're a lot of fun to get involved in. And that'll also be available through all of the the channels as well, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, iTunes. As far as I know, I I can't say for sure about iTunes if it will be up tomorrow, but I know it will be for um, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And there's there's eleven of us in that, and I wrote 
um, I wrote a, a short story for that. Has has your reading habits changed? Have have you become a different reader, or or have you gone in a, in a different direction since you became a fan fiction writer and then a published author and then started having a, a circle of other kind of romantic authors around you? I think my reading habits are similar, but when I do write I, um, a specific genre, I, I tend to not read that genre uh, as much. I love reading my friends' books and supporting them. I have such talented friends, so that's been great. I do have what I call comfort reads, and those are reads that, like when I'm writing, I can just pick up and read, and it's a good feeling. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is my number one comfort read. I can just pick it up in different spots and read it at night. I like to read right before I go to bed, and uh, when I'm writing, that's usually what I'm reading a lot at night, that, and then I have... Um, some friends that have some great serials out right now. It's like three little books that um, come out simultaneously, not simultaneously, but within a few weeks of each other. I love those. Um, just have so many talented authors. I try to read as many friends' books as I can, and uh doesn't leave me a ton of time for other books, really. <laughs> I do miss reading classics. I do, I do miss reading the classics. I need to get back to some of my comfort reads there like Jane Eyre I've read it I don't know maybe eight times <laughs> so <laughs> I tend to go back I don't know what, what it says about me but uh, I tend to go back and reread books that are my favorites over and over again it's funny that you'd say Fifty Shades because I'm actually in the self-imposed Fifty Shades detox program when, so when you mentioned it I started twitching um, <laughs> oh no and my mom started itching and I had gone over, we, we know how far outside societal norm Christian was in the beginning. I was kind of out in that space in my number of reads and, um, you know, got to where I, I wasn't even comfortable around people saying what that number was of the number of reads. But, um, so I'm like, okay, put it down and read other things, which actually was a good thing because it led me to everybody else. Um, uh, as far as reading um, Ruth Clampett and Helena Hunting and uh, you and Daisy and S.L. Scott and I mean Deborah Anastasia just went on and on and on and on and I, I and I just kind of followed that path um, from Fifty Shades to and through all of you guys and it was absolutely just fantastic and and I read more in the past you know three years than I have read in the past thirty years um, combined. I'll, I'll tell you, it was just, uh, it, it's been a really great experience for me. And, and I know there's been a lot of other readers who were like me who weren't really big readers but became readers uh, after Fifty Shades. And then, again, it led them to all these other fantastic authors that, that came out of that fan fiction realm. So there was a lot of really great things that people don't may not know that came as a result of Fifty Shades but was so much more mm-hmm. beneficial to the reading community on a broader scope. Exactly. I mean, I think Fifty Shades of Grey, that series, flipped a switch for so many women, um, a reading switch, you know, switch where they hadn't been readers, and it, they found such a joy in reading and getting lost in characters and a life. And it's just it's amazing how uh, that series really did spark something within so many women. I've heard it over and over again. 
um, from so many people that that did that for them. So I think it's very common. And uh, in the beginning, it you know it took it, it you know it just uh, you know I, I read it as a fan fiction, and I, I just always kind of knew that something I knew something was very special about it. And then to know that the really the you know the, it's a culture phenomenon. You know, my mom has talked about how you know she saw you know Gone with the Wind with the culture phenomenon book, and then. Mm-hmm. Peyton Place and then Valley of the Dolls and mm-hmm. you know, just those those certain books that really spoke to people and to women and you know became um, like um, more than just a book. I mean, you can just say Fifty today or just you know you don't mm-hmm. say a whole lot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it everyone understands what it means and so I think it's it's that. So it's it's really um, it's been a great influence and I'm very thankful for it as a writer and an author that it's. Um, turned so many people on to reading um, as, as it did me. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a good thing. Well, we owe, and Eric, we owe Eric a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it, it it really did open the door for to inspire a love of reading. And because I I I think from what people I had talked to that, that weren't necessarily readers like I was, they could really never find anything. And the typical Harlequin romance was basically the same story over and over and over and over again. So really what fan fiction did, and then it opened the door to all these other writers who had all of these wonderful stories. And again, it, it filled that mm-hmm. space because women were looking for it because, I mean, we were all watching, you know, Sex in the City. We went to the Sex in the City movies. I mean, we were really wanting something in that space, but it was just there, mm-hmm. the need wasn't being filled. So really, I, I think what 50 did was it tapped into that market who was there and was really longing for something. And then, it it had all these other people who had all these wonderful stories that that could identify with that market and said, I have something for you. And that market was receptive and willing and wanting, really longing for those type of stories. Instead of just going to the the, uh, grocery store and looking at the Harlequin, you know, Mm -hmm. round carousel thing and then picking up the same story over and over and over again. It's just been fresh and new and everybody has just brought their own specialness in their writing to, to the genre. It's it's been fascinating and, and absolutely thrilling to be a part of it and watch it and, and read all of these story after story after story. And every one of them is different and unique in its own way. It's true. I feel like, that um, series um, really opened the door, and so many readers walked through it, and authors right behind it. Um, we just, and I read it, you know, people read it in their writing, and um, I, I'm a, a member of the Romance Writers of America chapter here in New York City, and I sent by a lovely woman, and um, she was just, she's saying how she'd always wanted to write erotica and had never really felt like it was a genre that was, you know, that would get wide range um, audience. And she mentioned that she was very thankful that Erica had really opened that door for her. So it was just a woman I randomly sat next to at a, at a, at a luncheon. And so it really, it really has spread, um, you know, the readership has grown of books in general and well, you know, it's just amazing. I mean, when a book makes, 
um, paper shortages <laughs> in mm-hmm. the world happen. You know something's going on, right? <laughs> well, so. and uh, another thing that I thought was really good that, that, that kind of came out of that and really the whole online writing community was authors didn't really have to self-censor themselves. If they felt like the character needed to go somewhere, before it, it always seemed like the publisher was like pushing them back. No, you know, you can't write that. You can't write that. You know, the public won't want to hear that, blah, blah, blah. But now there, it seems like to me there's more freedom that these characters can can become kind of fuller and, and more of, of themselves. Um, and, the, and the author and the writer can kind of use their imagination and take, have, have the freedom to kind of take those characters further than was even possible a few years ago. I agree. And my, you know, my, in my series, I, I felt very comfortable with the, writing the sex that I did, even if it wasn't a man's point of view, which tends to be more graphic, not as romanticized sex. Um, but it was, and it's the exact opposite of BDSM, but at, yet at the same time, I felt real freedom that it's you know it's it's it was more it's more mainstream just to discuss different types of of topics like that. So um, where BDSM is you know tantra is more of a a connective sex and uh, loving and gentle and um, partner focused. So I don't know. It's just it's it was really. Uh, it opens the door for all of us erotic writers to explore topics that um, we might not have. And and I will say, I I do think that um, the women's partners, their husbands, their boyfriends, uh, um, really, it's a win-win because <laughs> they... I um, love giggles here, yeah. <laughs> They they benefit too. They may not be reading the books, probably aren't reading the books, but they're certainly, like you said before, benefiting from there. And and really, it's, it's almost a whole new sexual revolution that's been started with women feeling a little bit more power to express mm-hmm. themselves sexually. And I, I think women kind of have always struggled with that um, between you know, uh, being, and I've talked about this before, you know, being, uh, walking that line between a virgin and a whore, a, a saint and a sinner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I used to hear this, um, uh, um, uh, oh, I can't even think of the word, but uh, it used to be thrown around when I was a little girl. I, I would hear it every now and then when my aunts would get together and they would be, you know, in the kitchen and they got into the homemade wine a little bit and they talk about being a, a saint in the parlor and the devil in the bedroom. And I'm like, what is talking? What does that mean? You know? And uh, oh, you have a fun family. <laughs> well, they were big on homemade wine, and um, mm. they uh, would break that out every now and then. But they were in church every Sunday, and you'd never know, you know. And so um, women kind of have had sent these different signals. But when we would get out together, and we would start drinking, and we'd go see Chippendales or whatever. We kind of let our, you know, sexual freak flags fly. But I, I think that we always did kind of struggle with that. But there's more and more women talking openly about sex and and, and where that has led. And and I think it's really been a good thing. And I don't hear any men complaining. So it's, it's, no. it's good for everybody. It is. It's really good. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's good because I have daughters that are in their twenties and. Uh, it's such a different place from when I was in my 20s. Um, and 
two of my daughters have read the complete Fifty Shades series, and um, especially my one that's single here that lives in New York City, she's in med school, and I think it's really um, liberating to for women to be able to own their own sexuality and and uh, know what they want. And I think uh, I think the erotic books and the the romances that are out now kind of help women. Um, own that a little bit, a lot more than they did, especially when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot more after my kids left home than I did <laughs> while I, all those years before. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, you know, you, you're raising your kids. It's, it, it, it is kind of hard. It's a, it's a busy, a very busy time in, in, in women's lives. And, 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 and I will say for, because I'm out of that stage in my life too, and so if there's women who are going to you know, it, it is kind of a a better a bittersweet time because you know you you, you do miss your your children and you kind of miss the the, the things that's the activity in the house and and what was going on with them. But it it sparks this whole rejuvenation in your relationship with your spouse, and really that's that that's the person that you know is kind of going to kind of carry you off and into the the later years that's who you're going to travel with and eat with and it really is mm-hmm. is your best friend so it's really good to nurture that relationship again even though it it, it is a an adjustment once your kids leave home it is it, it increases intimacy amongst um people did for us you know um once the kids left you know it's just Hey, it's just you and me, buddy. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it's kind of nice to have have that, and I, I I credit that to a lot of um a lot of uh, the writings and reading that I did. So it, it was really good. So instead of reading like How to Survive Being an Empty Nester, I turned to Lovely Lady Goodness. Um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, that is the key, and that is really good advice. Don't don't. Uh, uh, turn to how to survive empty nesting. Turn to romance <laughs> and erotica, and uh, yeah. everything else. Guys aren't really that complicated. Everything else really just falls into place. Exactly. Well, Liv, thank Very you good. for coming on. LivMorris.com, dot com. So L I V M O R R I S dot com. You can find out and keep up with everything. She's very active on Twitter and Facebook. You can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, iTunes. You can. Get her books. They're available on Kindle. You can get the hard copy if you want, but you can jump in and you can talk to her. That's the great thing about Twitter is you can buy the author's book and then you can actually talk to them on Twitter or on Facebook and they answer you. Liv, you're always yeah. on there. You're, you're very accessible. I am. I, I um, love Twitter and I love Facebook. It's I love to talk. You know, it's shocking, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I love it, and it's a great outlet to meet people and just to see how you know everyone's doing. And especially as a writer, it, I'm home. It's so I can be so isolating. So Twitter and Facebook are great outlets. Can you imagine if 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 Twitter was around years ago, we could have like been talking to Ernest Hemingway or Harper Lee or somebody, you know, like, oh, here I have this idea for you. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> I know. I oh, think Jimmy Capote would have been. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Ernest Hemingway and Truman Capote. I wonder what they would have. I wonder what their 140 uh, characters would be on Twitter. <laughs> I know. I That'd know. be fun. I, I can only Thanks imagine. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I really was, had a great time, Lori. 
Well, I really appreciate you came on. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. LivMorris.com. We'll, you know, we'll have to do it again. I need to make my That's way great. around to everyone again because you guys put out work so fast. It's, it's just amazing. You're just exuding amazing. creativity, all of these <laughs> authors. I mean, it's just work and work and work coming out all the time, and it's it's just really been fun to be a part of. So I really appreciate that, that you were able to come on, and I had such a great time with you at Comic-Con. Same here. Same here. I hope to see you again soon. Me too. Hang on just a second. I'm going to play the Dirty Pearls. They're actually from New York City, and this is their song, New York City is a Drug, and I'll be right back. <laughs> New York City is a Drug! 